If Christ is king, how should the Christian consider the kingdoms of this world? What does the Bible teach us about human authority and what it means to love our neighbors and our enemies? Before we render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, let's know what it means to render unto God what is God's. This is the Biblical Anarchy Podcast, the modern prophetic voice against war and empire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Biblical Anarchy Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. This week and every week on Biblical Anarchy, we seek to live counterculture to the empire of man and to instead seek the kingdom of God by unpacking what the Bible teaches about government, authority, and human relationships. I am your host, Jacob Daniel. For today's episode, I have a guest on, Greg, who is the secretary of the Libertarian Party Sober Caucus, to have a conversation about a topic that I know is something that is on the minds of many Christians and conservatives, or even people in the country who doesn't really matter if they have a political affiliation or not. There's a lot of areas in the country that are affected by lots of people overdosing or getting caught up into some kind of negative aspect of drug culture, whether it's people getting involved in gangs or family members or friends who become addicted to certain substances. It might not be a topic that is the headlines in the news anymore because we have other things happening in the world like military conflicts and elections and other things that are happening that maybe are a bit more spicy. But to a lot of people in their local areas, things going on in the realm of the drug war are certainly prevalent and impactful. And it is fair to say that popular opinion among many Christian evangelicals, which is a large part of my audience, is that drug use, it alters the mind. It's something that we're called to live in a mindset that is sober and that it's wrong to use substances to act as sort of an escape. I mean, it can be a sin against our bodies would be kind of like the Christian perspective. And so to a lot of people of that mindset or even non-religious mindsets, drugs are things that are harmful and maybe something more innocuous like cigarettes or alcohol might be something to allow, but other harder substances, marijuana, heroin, psychedelics, different substances like that are things that we need the government to ban for the public health and safety of all. But it is not a position that libertarians take. Rather, libertarians would say that things that you do to your own body are things that even if they're to your detriment, that you have a right to do. And, you know, again, as a libertarian and as an anarchist myself, anarchists are primarily concerned with the initiation of violence and when it's justified. And the question is, is violence justified against someone who uses drugs, even if it is a harmful substance? There is some nuances, of course, when it comes to the idea of distribution and if people are distributing to youths or to people who are addicts. And so there's a lot of different layers of analysis that go into this. And so I thought that it would be helpful to have a conversation with somebody who has similar perspectives on this as me from both the perspective of being a libertarian and also someone who wants to promote a lifestyle that would either be about responsible drug use or abstaining from drug use, even though we don't support its prohibition. And so to do that, that's why I invited Greg on from 
the Libertarian Party Cyber Caucus to discuss these issues and to also go into what the Libertarian Party Cyber Caucus is and to see what they're doing, what they stand for, and to see how this all connects to the conversations that I want to have and the topics that I want to push on as far as promoting self-governance and promoting voluntarism and promoting a greater grasp and appreciation for how we can have a more peaceful society based upon social cooperation and not based upon coercion and violence. So with that said and introductions out of the way, I want to bring Greg up now to talk and introduce himself. So Greg, how are you doing tonight? Well, I'm doing excellent. Thank you, Jacob. And thank you for having me on your show and allowing us to discuss these important topics with you and your your audience. Yeah, absolutely. So Greg, can you just for the beginning here, introduce yourself and explain a little bit about your background for the listeners. And then we can get into the Sober Caucus and then the other topics that we want to talk about. Surely. So again, my name is Greg. I'm the secretary of the Sober Caucus uh, here with the Libertarian Party. I am 40 years old, live in the metro Detroit area. I'm seven years clean from alcohol, slightly longer, probably going on eight or nine years from Adderall and methamphetamine salts, those types of stimulants, I should say. And yeah, I'm a uh, lifelong libertarian, bordering minarchist, anarchist type philosophy. And I'm just here to try and help people navigate this playing field that we have of all these different chemicals and what they mean and how they make you feel and that kind of stuff. And hopefully get people out of trouble to find themselves into it. Let's get into, you know, and just a little disclaimer here, you know, the Libertarian Christian Institute as a nonprofit, we don't make endorsements or official supports of political entities or the Libertarian Party, but we can talk about it and we can talk with people who are involved in it and as individuals being involved in it ourselves, as I personally am. So with that disclaimer out of the way, the Libertarian Party Sober Caucus, what is it? Can you explain to me what your mission is and then, you know, sort of the work and messaging, organizing, and et cetera, that you do in pursuit of that mission? Surely. So our founder and former chair, Drew, the Clean Libertarian 84 on Twitter, if you're familiar, was in recovery. This still is. He's active recovery at this point, doing great. Libertarian and saw that there was a need where we can find people that have found issue with these various chemicals and provide them guidance and a community in which we can try and heal and kind of cure people together without the stigma that comes from outside of our particular political field. Being libertarians, we have what I think many people would consider fringe or approaching fringe beliefs and our non-state guided philosophies somewhat clash with what we currently experience as far as recovery goes and how we approach that. It's usually punitive things when he goes to court because they had a DUI, then they have to start going to AA. Or they get in trouble for larceny, feeling good so that they can sell it to get their fix. You know, that ultimately will fall back on them as well. But yeah, we ultimately just want to provide a area for people of the libertarian mindset to communicate with each other, have a community. We try and provide 
fellowship as far as if somebody is in need or they need somebody to talk to, either myself or somebody else from the caucus itself will try and make themselves available. Yeah, it's mainly trying to push libertarian views across what has been a landscape that's been pockmarked by state interference. We're trying to, instead of have a strong process that can be repeated over and over and over again for any number of addicts or people that find themselves in that situation, instead come up with a more holistic, humanistic approach to it and try and assist people in finding their way towards sobriety if that's what they need or trying to find the healthy way to participate in whatever it is they decide to participate in, whether that be narcotics or aggressive hand washing. <laughs> you know, it ultimately all just comes down to compulsion. And I think that that's kind of what gets lost sometimes is the idea that being a narcotic gets romanticized or villainized. So there's a lot of character that comes with the idea of a drug addiction as opposed to an addiction to daytime TV or reading the tabloids. You know, people that compulsively get Starbucks coffee every day whether they can afford it or not. It's a deeper-seated thing. And unfortunately, narcotics can and often do trigger or make things worse. But there are multiple ways to be compulsive and have an effect in life negatively. For sure. There's definitely a conversation about it wasn't exactly what I had planned to get into, but you bring up some nuanced and important points here about like, there are definitely the harder drugs that people point to, but there's also something to just the idea of being more sober minded that even requires us to critically analyze even the more, I guess, like for lack of a better term, soft or everyday use substances. I mean, caffeine can be heavily abused by people. As someone who has ADHD, I know I've had my battles with Ritalin and Adderall and things like that. I've chosen to abstain from using those and to find different ways to handle my particular attention deficit disorder and issues with that. And yeah, there, there's even some things like as an Oculus says sugar, hyper-processed foods can act on the body in ways that are not Exactly natural. So there's definitely, and then the compulsion, like you said, the compulsion is where this comes into play because we can have a lot of conversations about what's good and what's healthy and what should we encourage people to do and how should we help people who are struggling with things. And as libertarians, I know you, you said you border on the minarchist anarchist gap there, so to speak. On the cusp. And yeah. <laughs> and as an anarchist myself, we're both very concerned with, well, when is violence justified? And we can identify, you know, to get, so this is a good segue into, I guess, like the next question I had for you, which is, you know, my audience is not exclusively, but primarily Christians or people with Christian backgrounds and people who have traditionally taken a very anti-drug stance. And I think many of these people have a hard time understanding how someone can be personally against the use and also the abuse of mind-altering or addictive substances, but not support the prohibition or at least heavily regulating these substances and chemicals. So 
you started to go into it already, but can you go more into detail about the arguments that that we make as libertarians, both minarchists and our anarchists? Those who aren't familiar, by the way, minarchist is just a libertarian who, instead of wanting to abolish the state, wants believes that there is a necessity for just the smallest state possible. And there are a lot of libertarians who I think like Greg kind of straddle between the two, but the, uh, just, I wanted to define that in case someone wasn't familiar with it, but yeah, can we go into the arguments that we both make as libertarians, broadly speaking, anarchist and minarchist alike for why we can be against prohibition while still wanting to make the case for living soberly or responsibly using whatever substances that people want to use? Well, surely. I think, especially when it comes to mankind, woman, trans, humans, we have a ideal that we wish to achieve. But we're given the free will to do what we wish. I don't personally wish to impose my will on anyone, unless they're impeding on my own. And if that means that you're going to spend all day in your apartment smoking dope and playing FIFA or whatever, then that ultimately is your choice. And I don't think that's necessarily for the betterment of yourself or society or anything, but it's far from my responsibility to be the adjudicator on that. And in a a biblical sense, I would say that judgment comes not on terra firma, but somewhere else. And so our best bet is to allow people to make the choices that they wish to make and have the free will that was given to them through birth. And if they do encounter issues, we want to be there to help them. But having the state dictate and issue the punitive or recovery aspect of that doesn't play well with libertarian philosophy at all, because obviously we'd like to remove the state from as much as possible. and. You and I both know that inherently the state brings violence with it everywhere it goes, and that includes things like property. When you mandate that somebody has to go to a meeting, they're not going to be their best genuine self there, and that's going to bring everybody else's improvement down with them. But we've demonstrated, at least from in the tiers that we've been functioning and communicating with others, we have a lot of people that go to AA meetings and they have their sponsor and they walk the steps. But we also have a lot of people that don't because they don't have meetings near them or they found sobriety during lockdowns where we were closing churches out where most of those AA meetings were being held. So I think that it really does, it, it jives very well with the libertarian philosophy of you should be able to do whatever it is that you want to do, no matter how poor of an idea it might be, because maybe you know something I don't know. Don't ask for me to pay to bail you out if you find yourself in trouble, but I'm certainly not going to stop you. But what I will stop is a oppressive state from deciding that you're an addict and putting that on your record and then mandating that you go to meetings that you're not going to be positive or helpful for whatever arbitrary amount of times decided by some arbitrary judge and some arbitrary municipality. That kind of recovery, especially when it comes to harder things, whether it be opiates, whether black market or prescribed, people that have gambling issues, pornography issues, any of those types of things, we find that community helps by having somebody to talk to, somebody to distract you, somebody to help 
provide hobbies. <laughs> like these types of little things go a lot farther than having the heavy hand state push you towards right. cells. Yeah, no, I, I think there's something that Christians, I think, should be especially sympathetic to, you know, the idea of community being a far better antidote than sure. violence. I mean, I think, and I I didn't ask, you know, what your, do you have a particular religious view or you're agnostic or? I generally kind of follow agnostic. I'm in a situation where I don't generally think outside of this lifespan. Try lives by what I would consider universal truths, which are generally echoed in the Christian Bible as far as, you know, love thy neighbor, don't covet, <laughs> you know, like yeah. what I would consider to be common sense morality. You know, nobody's accused me of being a crook, at least recently. So, <laughs> but I, you know, I think yeah. that this does play well with the Abrahamic traditions too, though, because, you know, obviously I don't think that Jesus Christ was a pro-leprosy guy but knew that lepers needed help. It's, right, exactly. I'm remembering that out very correctly. So I think it's kind of, and not to say that people that work with recovery are of that ilk or of that level of benevolence, but that's what we try and represent. Or, you know, we try and follow that kind of template. Be there for people. Listen to them. You don't know exactly how they got to that position, and you don't know how to get them out of it. But the best place to start is to shut up and listen. <laughs> Give them an ear. Let them know that somebody cares. It's rough out there. And it's certainly rough when you're already coming from a political minority, being a libertarian, anarchist, anarchist, whatnot. And then having the stigma of being addicted to something that's difficult to kick. A lot of the big drugs and even some of the smaller ones are incredibly difficult. Nicotine is a hell of a drug. Uh, quitting smoking cigarettes is considered to be one of the most difficult things that you can do as far as uh, the sensations and the chemical goes. Math. <laughs> you know, people will chew through copper to get to math. It's very, the stuff is very scary. It can be very powerful, but we do have tools against it. And right. like I said, a lot of that is the community takes a village, takes a whole tabernacle to bring it together. Right. So there's definitely the aspect of the victims or the users of these substances. Is violence going to be something that helps them? And from a Christian perspective, and you rightfully pointed to the example of Jesus and Jesus with with anything, whether it was people with leprosy or illnesses or prostitution or anything that a Christian would consider sinful, Jesus's prescription for that was to try to set them on the right path. But to do that in the context of loving them, of communicating with them, eating with them, and enabling them to overcome their struggles, not with threats of violence or coercion. It's not a Christian response. There might be people who would say, okay, well, maybe that's not, we shouldn't go after the victims or the users of various substances. But what about the distributors? And, you know, this gets into like the war on drugs and there's that side of it as well. And what would your, you know, again, I think to those who are already of the libertarian ilk, it's a little bit of preaching to the choir. But, you know, I would say that I think just empirically, if we look at what has happened already over the past 
hundred years or so of various prohibitions and various forms of the war on drugs as that's played out across the country in different cities and different communities, I don't think that we have done a good job. <laughs> I don't think the state has really effectively gone after providers and impacted the status quo in a way that you could say that there's in any meaningful way less drugs being proliferated on the streets than there would be if they weren't doing that or perhaps if they were trying another strategy. So, but I mean, I want to get your thoughts on that as well and any other further insights or elaborations you want to make. Sure. So first off, the state isn't going to go after larger drug distributors because they would either be going after themselves or going after their allies. There's ample evidence, especially during the Reagan administration, that we were just bringing in trucks of cocaine and teaching inner cities, hey, the cocaine that you're getting isn't pure. But if we go through this process and you rock it out, all the impurities are gone and it's cheap. But it's going to give up and you're going to sell everything you own for that next rock. When we go after distributors, what we're actually going after are other people that are in bad situations. Now, in my past, I've been a distributor, not a nickel and dime, I've been part of that economy. And it wasn't, there are very few people that do it for fun. There are some young guys that get into it for the adrenaline. But after that, it's really just because that's the only way that you can pay your bills, depending on your situation. For me, I was a student at university and I was working full time and I still had to work more to make ends meet. So to say that the state should come after me because I was, and granted, I was just selling cannabis. It wasn't rocks or anything. But you're finding somebody else who's in a bad situation. The big guys that are making kilos of cocaine, kilos of meth, kilos of the opiates and fentanyl and all that, those are state-based actors. That's a lot of the fentanyl is coming out of China, a lot of it's coming out of Mexico. We have every ability to stop that. <laughs> but we don't because somebody somewhere along the line is making money on it. I would argue that as we remove prohibition, people have the ability to produce such chemicals domestically and probably under greater scrutiny, you're going to end up with a clear, more controlled product just by the nature of the market and the way that we see with just about everything else. When you allow a state, one entity, to have that much control, the first thing that's going to go is your quality. You're going to end up with sentinel. It's got porcelain bits in it and whatever other kind of garbage people can come up with. By making it available, we have the ability to make it available and safe. When we make it a prohibited thing, we're not allowed to study it. We're not allowed to work with it. Things like sentinel have use. It's, I, if I remember correctly, it's the most, one of the most used anesthesias in infants. Because it cycles through the system so quickly. It's super powerful, it's super quick, and it's out. We can make it. <laughs> we can make it that it's the hospital quality. And if somebody's looking for it, we can find a way to offer that dose in a clean, safe, effective manner. And in doing so, find the people that have problems with it, need extra help, need to be guided towards 
Uh, things like our former chair and our founder, Drew, is doing harm's way Oklahoma, where they're doing the yield exchange and fentanyl strips. Apologize if you hear my obnoxiously loud cat who's decided to join I was, us. I was trying to make out what that was. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Finally, uh, yeah, that's yeah. my cat in the basement deciding he likes his own voice. So I apologize. But that's no, fine. Drew um, has his own nonprofit right now, which is, like I said, doing yield exchanges and fentanyl strips and uh, that sort of stuff. So we have the ability to provide things to make things cleaner and safer. And then through that process, also isolate folks who need further assistance from groups like you. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Took me a second, sorry. Yeah. No, and it, it is important to point out that if the war on drugs was supposedly a war against providers, well, most of the people who are in our jails for you know, drug use, it's basically for possession. <laughs> yeah. There's not many. And a lot, or sometimes they will go after people who have a lot and say, well, the amount of this substance you have proves an intent to distribute, even though there's no real actual evidence that they were distributing or selling or whatever. Yeah. The way I would put it to echo what you said is that right now, the state banning substances the way it does and going after these drug cartels supposedly and which doesn't even work because we we spend all this time and money to bust up one group that will just be we create a void that'll be filled by some other group or the same people who just got out of jail later on because they had the connections to do so and i just think overall the picture that we see is that the war on drugs and the state trying to ban these substances creates an environment where People who, to put, trying to figure out the right way to put it. So rather than safe drug use or the promotion of not using certain substances being economical, rather the system that the war on drugs creates is a system where the people involved profit the most by letting that system continue. And instead, if we were to allow a free market to work on this situation. Would all drug use end? Well, no. It's not really what's on the table anyway, because clearly the war on drugs hasn't ended drug use. So anyone who is acting out of some sort of utopian nirvana fallacy, where it's like, I only accept a solution that can end all drug use. It's just not operating in reality. People are going to do things. It's just a matter of harm reduction and how do we offer the most options to people to make better choices if they're in a part of their life where they're struggling and they're doing things that aren't good for them. And I think you and I agree that a lot of these situations, people are doing things that are not good for them or good for other people, but it's how do we best tackle that situation? And I think in the same way that the state fails to generate creative innovations for everything else that it claims a monopoly over, you know, the war on drugs also fails to create innovations that the free market can do a better job of and do a better job of, like you said, just making it safer, which doesn't mean that it's good that people are maybe addicted to substances, but it's better that they have a better chance at living through that addiction. That gives you more chances to help them, more chances for them to 
go down a different path later on. And also for people who are struggling with addictions or with using certain substances, I, I imagine that the free market is going to be way superior to the state in terms of offering roads to recovery and helping people to overcome those once they're at that point. The other thing that needs to be considered here is that if people don't want to be helped, I don't know that pointing a gun at them and forcing them to receive help is ever going to be a good way to get them to actually receive that help in a meaningful way. It's very much like a Christian wouldn't go up to someone and say, accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if they said no, it's like, well, let me pull out a gun and point it at you. Now accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's like, I think the Spaniards did that when it was auto de fe. Yeah, no, it, it hasn't. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying no one's ever done that. It's not to be clear. It doesn't work well yeah. towards. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it can if you do it through the state, it can work well towards creating a pseudo compliance, but it doesn't actually work well towards changing people's hearts and having a meaningful commitment to. If you have to compel someone to do something, it's like it's not actually being done in a meaningful, genuine way. Sure. And that's what our heart should be, is to see the, see people thriving. And and we want them to get help, but they have to want the help. And if they don't want the help, we just have to create the best environment we can that they are at least safe in, not going to be dying in. And the war on drugs does nothing to help the users, and it only seeks to, in my opinion, I think it does more to create a situation where we see more drugs proliferating the street and more violence prolifer- proliferating the streets. Yeah. No, I, um, Michigan is a recreational cannabis state and we've seen less under 18 possessions since we've legalized because I assume at that age nowadays, you would just assume wait because there's an option of doing it. Right. If it's always going to be against the law, you might as well do it. But if you just got to wait till you're 18 or they can go to the dispensary, buy a bag or whatever, and then go home and enjoy it, probably going to wait. Just like not everybody binge drinks before they're 21. Sometimes it's a, you know, a ceremony, 21st birthday, get a beer with dad, blah, blah, blah. When we take things like this, we make them more of a, part of culture as opposed to antithetical to our culture, we're able to then ingrain it and have influence on it. Whereas when we push it away from us, trying to prohibit it and make a pariah out of the the subject, we lose the ability to have any influence on it as a society or a community. So the sooner that we can get our hands around that and say, look, you're part of our community too. We need you to kind of shape up and chip up. And if not, we're going to make sure that you're in a situation where you can't harm yourself or others. But like, you're probably not going to get the best jobs. <laughs> you know, like people are going to smell it on you and you're probably going to live maybe not your best life. But if you see that change and you want to be that, we'll be there for you. Right. No, I agree with that. So, a large portion of our shared audiences here are also fellow libertarians. And so we spent kind of the first half here kind of like kind of going over the basic libertarian arguments against drug prohibition, against the war on drugs and how that doesn't work. And free market provides better alternatives to people, both the people who are suffering through addiction and also 
better incentive structures for even people who are caught up in distribution. But another topic that I think would be useful to go into while I have you here, sure. there's definitely a, a at least a perception, and I think it's a somewhat fair perception, even though I do think it's overgeneralized, the idea that libertarians are all big druggies and everyone smokes weed and gets together and consumes different substances and stuff. And again, some truth to that. And I've witnessed that firsthand. I think there's also a lot of people, though, who might go under the radar, but would rather practice sobriety or at least responsible use of maybe certain substances, but who don't go full out on a lot of the other things that maybe some people use. So, I mean, for one, I would ask, you know, if you think that's you know, a fair assessment, what I kind of described there. And then my concern and what I want to get your thoughts on are, do you think that this, to the extent that it is true that there's a bit of a drug culture within the libertarian movement and libertarian party, do you think that this is a potential barrier to entry for new or prospective libertarians who want to join and get involved in these different circles? And tangentially, you know, is perhaps people using these substances, are they holding themselves back and thus holding like the movement back in terms of like productive work that can be done if they're spending a lot of time involved in recreational drug use? So I want to get your thoughts on that. So I would say that as a caucus, one of the main sparks that brought us into existence and definitely got us the, a large part of our promotion outside of Spike, Big Spike, we noticed that there were no sober spaces at the conventions. And particularly Reno was coming up at the time. And there was nowhere that you could be that wasn't surrounded with gambling, prostitution, drugs, alcohol, any number of vice. You know, if you want to find something to do wrong in Reno, you certainly can. So our first main drive was to get a, what we call the clean room, where people were allowed to come in if they were already intoxicated, but they were not allowed to bring any sort of chemical into the room. Drew was there, provided snacks, beverages, coffee. We had some board games. And all that came out of the funds that we raised for our merchandise sales and just old school bagging, <laughs> that kind of thing. But yeah, there is definitely a culture of that that I would say personally I've noticed. I think a lot of that comes from the libertarian voter base is generally going to be a younger base, especially nowadays. And that's going to be more people that are kind of brought up with that. They came of age where cannabis was becoming legal as opposed to was illegal. Things like mushrooms were becoming more prolific. And some of the more notorious bad guys, cocaine, fentanyl, your opiates, that's just ultimately available to the that generation that can hop on TikTok, fire off the right emojis and get the right deal. So I think that that certainly does play in with that stereotype. I don't necessarily see it as a hindrance to new membership on a large scale, but I do feel as though that imagery, and again, personally not speaking on behalf of the caucus here, because we wouldn't really discuss kind of like voter efficacy and that sort of thing. But I would say that some of our more effective membership would be turned off by that. I know since I've cleaned up, I have a hard time doing work, my daily, yeah, my, my day job. 
if I were to meet up with somebody after work and they'd been drinking to discuss work becomes frustrating. So I could see why somebody who's there to discuss the economy or discuss border control or control, discuss second amendment rights, becoming frustrated with a body that is a good time all the time and low focus on business. And, you know, we see the highlights. Like I watched all of Reno from my couch with my wife, which most I don't recommend anybody do. But in the same vein, though, the way that some people get frustrated by seeing the pop and circumstance that we go through with our conventions, I think that those same people have become frustrated by the good time people that we see at those conferences that are here. I'm not saying you got to show up in a suit and tie, but some people show up at the convention ready to party. And that's cool. But just go to Reno. <laughs> you don't have to vote. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, you do that when you're sober if you want. But again, that that is more of a, a like, me thing, sober caucus, much like your entities. We don't necessarily endorse any candidates or anything besides like a platform of non prohibition and uh, community recovery. And I wouldn't feel comfortable saying, discussing how it's going to affect voter rolls like that because I wouldn't want to upset anybody. Yeah, I think the purpose of, of the question from my perspective was less about that and just more about, and I think you kind of touched on it in a good way, that people coming in, I think that what the you're describing the Super Caucus as doing is useful because it gives people who don't want to do maybe you know the, the partying and, and drug use and stuff for people that, or especially people that maybe are recovering addicts or, or trying to or on the path to recovery a safe place to go to and I think that's that's definitely important at these large gatherings and whatnot or just or just other people in the movement who have that same shared similar value and it's fine for there to be a diversity of lifestyles and backgrounds in the, in the party and movement I would never want to I would never want to be misconstrued as saying, well, everyone in the party and the movement needs to sober up. <laughs> it's like, you know, I mean, I guess to be clear, it's like, that's my personal preference for how I think it's best to live life. But that's just my, what's the mean? That's just my opinion, right. bro. Like, <laughs> it's like, it's like, if you go do something, if you want to live your life high all the time, like I might personally think that's a bad decision, but I wish you well. And it doesn't make me think doesn't really cause any issue other than I just have a simple disagreement with stuff you're doing. And that's something that uh, I think is good within libertarian spaces to model out that you can have a disagreement of lifestyle and just live peaceably yeah. with them. That's what libertarianism and anarchism I think are is about at the end of the day is learning to find ways to solve problems and also to, coexist with people and to acknowledge that some problems can't be immediately fixed and to just acknowledge all that and live with people who do things differently or at least you don't have to live next to them if you don't want to like you if you know you can freedom of association and all that but you there are peaceful solutions to all of these problems that don't require the expansion of state power and i think that's the important thing to drive home related to my last question, I guess, while I just said, I think that having a uh, diversity of people of different backgrounds and stuff is is important, 
I want to get your thoughts on, and again, this is more your thoughts, not necessarily the Libertarian Party Sobers Caucus's official stance. I, I would want you to get in trouble there. You know, obviously, don't everything you say here isn't representative of what everyone in your group or caucus thinks. But you already discussed your religious views, but what are your thoughts on just what is? I'd be curious what the makeup is of the Sober Caucus. If there are people, you know, of religious background or whatnot that joined or who are involved, and what do you think of sort of like what I've been doing here? You know, making a pitch to people of that kind of background and lifestyle. You know, maybe the Sabre Caucus can be not to the alienation of people who are different than that, who don't see any problem with personally kind of embracing that more party, recreational drug use lifestyle. But, you know, could the caucus be a little bit of a beacon for people who want something different? And could that be a useful tool for helping to grow the movement and party in, in your perspective? And this kind of comes with a, with a caveat of, you know, as when we're trying to reach new people, it's always that balancing act, right? Of like, we want to appeal to them. We want to show them there's room for them, but we also got to bring them on board and sort of like, okay, like you can be against drug use. Can't tell other people that they have to stop or threaten, be okay with threatening state violence against them if they don't. So it's kind of like we got to appeal to people with common ground, but also stand firm on what the actual libertarian position is and not seek to water that down just to grow the movement. So I wanted to put that caveat there that I, I would never want to do that because that the movement's done that many times, <laughs> Bob, Bob Barr, <laughs> watering down the message. And it, it, it's not been to our, it, it's been to our detriment. So, but as long as we're not watering down the message, you know, what do you think of trying to appeal to people of that more maybe religious or conservative mindset who are in some ways very far removed from that drug culture? But if they can be made to see the, arguments for why the war on drugs doesn't work, perhaps there is ground there for harvesting new libertarians. Sure. Well, to address the first part of your question, we've never done any sort of like formal demographic survey or anything on our, our membership or people follow us. But I would say primarily Christian base. I would almost venture to say that I'm in the minority not being Christian within the caucus. A lot of that is going to come from a AA 12-step background uh, with that heavy, very strong focus on higher power. So it's certainly a welcome community for people from that side of life. I would say the same for Jewish people or people from an Israeli background or Hebrew. I don't believe that we have any sort of Muslim or Islamic faith membership yet. But I don't, it would be an interesting first step, but I don't think that we would have any issue or concerns with that. And what's nice about our community either through, we have kind of a, a smaller group chat on Twitter that we have kind of as an open forum. But within our Discord, we have different channels. And if somebody were to say, want a faith-based channel. There would be no problem to set that up and to have somebody moderate that so that your recovery could be guided by whatever light it is that guides you in other things. You know, whether that be Jesus, Abraham, uh, flying spaghetti monster, piece of clip art that smokes a pipe, you know, whatever it might be. 
And as far as appealing to conservatives and the Christian base, I think that that's where a lot, and granted, numbers seem to be dwindling from what I understand reading party correspondence, but it seems like the newer, louder voices within the party are coming from a Christian, primarily definitely conservative libertarian, as opposed to more of that left kind of libertarian. And I think that by us providing something like the Sober Caucus, it does provide at least a starting point, if not a safe haven for people that are apprehensive about working hand in hand with somebody who medicinally uses crack, as uh, some of us learned on Twitter this week that some people do. Uh, <laughs> it's I haven't heard that one before. I'd be I will you know I'd be I will forward that. you that thread. Um, it's it's quite a read, <laughs> but. There's certainly a way, especially if we demonstrate it through a, you don't have to lay in bed with these people, right? But there's an overwhelming amount of things that you have in common. You don't want the state telling what to do. You would like to be able to drink raw milk if that's what you, you and your family prefer. You want to be able to collect your own rainwater or build a deck without having to pull up on it, right? Sure. Well, this person also goes home and does some cocaine on Friday nights and comes up with business plans that go nowhere. If we can hit that rhetoric, I think that we will get people. I think that we'll get them not only in, but committed. Because if you do have that sort of faith in your background, I think that you've got a compassion and a compulsion to be compassionate, to help your fellow man, to be your brother's keeper. And we provide a platform for that without actually having to dive right into it. You don't have to go to Reno and go to some wild after hours to get the effect of being part of the party. You can join us in a clean room. We'll play, right. you know, watch, you know, like I'm planning on doing a movie night sometime before Christmas in the Discord and everybody can hang out on a Friday and watch Elf. Yeah, we'll talk about soft drinks and stuff. But... My wife's favorite Christmas movie. Hey, yes, we come into as soon as I as soon as I get the uh XCOM board to say okay. And not just us, but I think that there are going to be more and not even caucus necessarily. I think that we use that term kind of haphazardly, you know, in as much as like the sober caucus we're not a voting block, right? Like we just were issue driven. But we are going to see more fragments within the party that unify us, right? We preach balkanization and a national divorce. I think that something smaller could be beneficial to the Libertarian Party, where we do have different sects that focus on different things. But overall, or division of right, labor. Overwhelmingly, we all want to see a world set free in our lifetime. There are different venues to get there. But me and my career, we're going to focus on what we're good at. And that's making sure that people that have issues with addiction and compulsion have somewhere to go. We may not promise that we're going to be able to cure or help with everything, but you know, we'll give you a spot. And there might be a libertarian. I'm frankly surprised that we don't have a national libertarian like gun club, for instance, competition team, whatever, something like that. Because then you're going to bring in your Second Amendment purists, and then they can start to learn more about libertarian stuff. We, as a caucus, we offer scholarships. You don't have to be a libertarian 
to be part of that. You just have to be willing to recover and be willing to, you know, abide by some of the bureaucratic stuff that we put in there. Yeah, you know, we don't send you the money directly. It has to go to your silver house and blah, blah, blah. But um, just doing, if we all do little things like that, it's going to bring the whole party up and give us a brighter light to cast the shadow on more pressing and in the news topicality. If we can get all of the libertarians to agree on, not all, that's fine. This guy's making the wreck. Uh, if we can get like 52% of libertarians to agree on one thing, I think we could take over the world. <laughs> you know, we're all pretty highly motivated <laughs> and creative people, but, you know, we have to disagree that we're going to work together on take over the world to leave people yeah, alone. Yeah. Some, <laughs> that's the mantra goes. That's what it takes. No, I think that's good. And I, I, I think something beautiful in what you're describing there is it's like, it's not even just about the party, you know, because caucuses kind of are this weird space that they occupy space in the party, but also the movement too, because there's a cultural aspect mm-hmm. to it. And I think that people who might have that more Christian or conservative background or whatever, when they come in through, whether it's through the sober caucus or through other groups that are co that are specializing and focusing on certain areas, but they're kind of the way you put it. It's like, Hey, uh, we might not agree with this person's lifestyle, but we can work with them and live peaceably with them and love them where they're at. Even if we think that what they're doing is wrong or harmful, et cetera, that it, it's sort of modeling libertarian ethics for people right from the get go, come in and be like, you know what, like social cooperation and peaceful association and disassociation and, we can do all this. We can find ways as human beings to, like I said earlier, like solve problems and work together to solve those problems, even with people that we have big differences on. Because like you said, we're not forced to sleep in the same bed. We can have division of labor and peaceful separation, which isn't isn't like a complete separation. Like you might find someone who smokes marijuana all day long, really annoying. Then you might find that you need some sort of hemp product that they sell and buy it from them. And, you know, that's the beauty of libertarianism is someone who has a completely different lifestyle than you, even if you can't stand certain things about them, they might have something to offer that your life will be better off for because you can freely trade and exchange with them. So, you know, it's just, there's just so many layers to it. And I think that what you guys are doing is definitely something that both your primary goal and also sort of like the secondary kind of like things that you do just by existing and providing that niche are, are definitely important things. So we're coming to the end here, Greg, and I appreciate you coming on and, you know, talking with oh, me yeah. about the drug war and, you know, why we can be libertarians who promote like sober living and lifestyles, but still oppose drug prohibition and support people's rights to use substances and do things according to, what they think is right and not to respond to those people with a call to use violence or coercion. And you were able to go into some of the details of on how the Sabre Caucus operates and what you guys do and the culture that you guys have worked to create and the help that you want to provide people. So I, I think that's all wonderful and I'm happy to have you on to promote that before you go. I won't give any closing thoughts that you have. And then if you want to plug any, either events that you guys have coming up, campaigns that you guys actively do. You, you mentioned like the scholarship thing. I don't know if that's something that's going to 
be available to people again if you want to plug that or anything else you want to leave with the listeners before we hop off here? Sure. Well, first off, thank you and thank your audience for uh, listening to me while on for an hour. Very much appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk about the good work. But you know, our team has has started under Drew's tutelage and now under Bo. And we're we're really excited to keep moving forward. We are hoping to continue our scholarship program. You'll have to reach out to us probably via Twitter is gonna be the easiest. That's at LP Silver Caucus. You can find us, um, you can follow me at Drafty Bastard. Um, and I can link you to that as well, or I'm sure. Jacob will have our link somewhere uh, handily available. But you can always reach out to us if you have somebody who's in recovery, struggling to find recovery. If there's anybody outside of our scholarships, you just know of somebody who's cleaning up and needs a couple bucks to go get some fresh thrift store clothes for driver. Have them reach out. We will either have the funds available or we'll help set something up to make those funds available. You know, uh, GoFundMe or whatever. Not GoFundMe, but in somewhere, style utility. We are hoping here in the next year to have some more merchandise just to kind of show to people that you don't have to always be drinking, um, you know, water bottles, coffee mugs, that kind of thing. I am, as mentioned earlier, hoping to have a movie night in our Discord channel sometime before Christmas, just as kind of a uh, end of the year wrap up. And uh, yeah, after that, starting in 2023, we're Probably going to have to do some more boating, uh, switch around some of our XCOM seats, uh, which really leaving. And from there, we will uh, launch out again. So please follow us. Keep your eyes peeled. Join us at our meetings. If you see an invite come across, we'd love to have you. Get about eight to ten people in there, and more voices are always better. And please don't hesitate to reach out to us. If you just need an open ear, somebody to talk to, you can send us direct messages on Twitter or out the Discord. We have Facebook as well. If you look up Sober Caucus Libertarian Party, that will pop up. That one's not been used quite so much recently, but hopefully it'll be getting some bigger again. And I think that's about it because I could just ramble on about how cool the Sober Caucus is for days. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. And I'm, and I was actually, I mean, I've been following you guys on Twitter for a while, but I was also, it was very valuable for me to have this conversation with you and learn more about what you guys are doing. So, you know, I definitely want to probably check it out myself a little bit because even though I've never used any powdered substances, I've had my own just battle with trying to find ways to avoid using as someone with ADHD, like I've tried to avoid using like Adderall and Ritalin and all that. But even caffeine is something that, man, I have a love-hate relationship with. So, um, yeah, I might be checking that out myself. But definitely appreciate you coming on. And uh, yeah, everyone, you know, Definitely recommend following them on Twitter. And yeah, that's all we have for today's episode. Greg, thanks again for coming on and having this conversation. Thank you to everybody who uh, tuned in to listen. And if uh, these kind of conversations and these topics are interesting to you and valuable to you, please share this with your friends on Facebook or Twitter. And you know, if you want to like this, leave a review wherever you're listening. We greatly appreciate it because it helps us to reach more people with these messages of liberty and peace and just loving on people and trying to make the world a better place. So 
Yeah, that's all we got for today. And we will see you guys on the next episode. The Biblical Anarchy Podcast is a part of the Christians for Liberty Network, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. If you love this podcast, it helps us reach more with a message of freedom when you rate and review us on your favorite podcast apps and share with others. If you want to support the production of the Biblical Anarchy Podcast, please consider donating to the Libertarian Christian Institute at biblicalanarchypodcast.com, where you can also sign up to receive special announcements and resources related to biblical anarchy. Thanks for tuning in.